Welcome to another inspirational podcast from Junction 28 Church. We're so glad that you've decided to join us today and know that God wants to bless you with this message. We'd love to hear about it, so why not tell us on our Facebook or Twitter pages? If you would like further information about who we are, check out our website www.thejunction28church.com We hope you enjoy this message. I'm going to talk about Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus. So Mark chapter 10 and verse 46. And hopefully we'll um, just be a little bit inspired tonight to see what God wants to do with us. So Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Let me read this to you. It says, Now they came to Jericho. As he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man saying to him, be of good cheer, rise. He is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, teacher, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. How many know that miracles still happen today? Okay. Miracles, I believe, should be expected in the life of the Christian. I believe miracles are not just something that happened years ago. I believe miracles can and should happen in our lives today. I was in a meeting in London last night, and the preacher got up, and he had a word of knowledge for people who had self-harmed and had scars on their arms. And he said this, and there was thousands of people in this meeting. He said, I want you to lift your hand, and as you do, I want you to check your arms, and I believe that your scars will disappear. I'm like, wow, that's a bold move, isn't it? Then he said, if God has taken away your scars. If you look at your arm and you can no longer see the scars, I want you to stand to your feet right now. I'm like, wow, this could get a bit awkward. And he then he prayed a very simple prayer for like five seconds. And all around the room, people began to stand. This was in England yesterday. And it's not my story. It's not, I wasn't my meeting. I was just visiting someone and Suddenly, this started, I thought, wow, what a God we serve. God can still perform miracles today. So if you're believing God for a healing or a miracle, 
then trust me, trust the Bible. Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. That miracle can happen. Keep believing God. Don't give up. Miracles. Just like we saw Bartimaeus get healed, I believe we can see miracles in our lives. Some of you will know my story. I was given three hours to live. Three hours to live. Three years ago, that was. And God stepped in with no medication. Medication had failed me. And God stepped in. That's a whole other story. So what can we learn from Bartimaeus? Well, I've got a few points for you. Um, the first one is this, definition. Number one, definition. Now, there's just one problem with our friend, Blind Bartimaeus. We call him Blind Bartimaeus. We love to tell the Sunday school kids the story of Blind Bartimaeus. We love to preach about, you know, hundreds of sermons will have been preached today about good old Blind Bartimaeus. We will refer to him in sermon illustrations. We'll preach about him. We'll teach about him. We'll even write books about our friend, Blind Bartimaeus. But there's just one problem with Blind Bartimaeus. He's not blind. So for thousands of years, this poor man has been nicknamed something that isn't true. Blind, but you know, in your Bible... It might even say at the heading, which isn't scripture, it's just someone's written a heading who's produced this particular version of the Bible. It might say something like, blind Bartimaeus gets a miracle. Or Jesus healed. So poor old Bartimaeus is remembered throughout the centuries as the man who is blind. Yet we all know Bartimaeus can see because we know the final story. So, why am I saying that? Could it be possible that it's quite typical of people, particularly church people, to refer to people how they used to be before they met Jesus? Could it be that we love to put tags on people? We love to remind people of their past and how they used to look before they encountered Jesus. I remember before I became a Christian, I had a terrible bad language issue. I mean, anyone have one of those? Or used to have one of those, maybe? Um, and I just would swear in every sentence. I mean, just could not help it. I mean, just get so, just, just, it was just kind of normal language, just to swear. And I remember not long after becoming a Christian, I, you know, my, my, I was instantly kind of stopped swearing. I never swore from that day so it just instantly just went you know some things take a bit of time to deal with but that was one of those things that just went overnight and I remember being with a group of friends just a few months after that and they were quoting me in a story and they used a bad word and I was like so offended because I'm like no I don't use that stuff anymore what was I what was happening I was being defined by what I used to be like so often in church, people will try and they will try and define you by your former life. The life you had before Christ stepped in. The sin you were entangled in before Jesus set you free. They'll try 
and define you by those old addictions. Oh, that's just so-and-so. They'll, they'll be on those cigarettes forever. Oh, don't worry about him. He's a gossip. He, he's, he's always going to be like that. And religion will love to tell you that life is never going to change. People will love to tell you that life is always going to be the same. How many know that when Jesus truly touches you, the Bible says you're a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Anyone glad about that? Anyone glad tonight that they've been cleansed and washed? You know, as I listened to the worship team, who, by the way, did a great job tonight. Phenomenal job. I just sensed such a purity on this stage. There was a purity here, which I don't often see. Just a, a genuine, a sincere purity before God. And I could see the people were worshiping. They, they, this wasn't just a show to them. They were there just to heap praise on the king. Definition. Number two, destination. The Bible says Jesus came to Jericho. He healed Bartimaeus and then... He moved to Jerusalem. So in other words, the only reason Jesus came to Jericho was for Bartimaeus. Could it be that God could send you somewhere just for one person? You ever thought about that? Hmm? You know, preachers these days, they love a big crowd. We all do. We all like it. You know, when people show up, it's very encouraging for the pastor when you show up. At 10.30 every week, we all think that the whole church has quit and gone down the road. But then you all show up about 10 minutes late, and then you turn around and the place is packed. Um, maybe that's just my church, but I very much doubt it. A few guilty faces around here. Um, but... Could it be that Jesus is not so much interested in crowds, but he's interested in individuals? There's a reason we call our organization one by one. Because we never want to get too big when we lose the importance of stopping for one little child. Like that little girl that kicked this whole thing off. Jesus went all the way to Jericho for one person. Could it be that in your life, if you truly believe the Holy Spirit is guiding your steps and that your steps are ordered by the Lord, could it be that even as you go about your business tomorrow, the Holy Spirit might just have one person in mind for you to speak to? Could it be that your whole life has been positioned to such an extent that the very reason you're in the job you're in, could it be the very reason that you're in the relationship you're in? Could that be because God has put you there? You see a lot of people these days talk about full-time ministry. I don't really want to be in full-time ministry. I just want to be a full-time Christian. So it doesn't really matter if I'm paid or not by my church. 
Doesn't really matter if I've got a job where I hold one of these microphones. No one can take my ministry off me because God gave it to me. So if tomorrow morning I go into the office and the church sack me, praise God, bring it on. No. <laughs> Hope that's not on the podcast. <laughs> then guess what? My ministry hasn't gone. They can't take my ministry from me. Only God can take my ministry from me. While ever there's a sinner needing the gospel, I've got a ministry. We've got to see things how Jesus sees things. You know, in John chapter 4, Jesus stops for a woman at a well. He crosses, he breaks every law. He breaks every stereotype. And he goes and spends time with this woman. He ministers her. To her, he gives her words of knowledge. He gives her words of life. And her life is completely transformed. He stopped for one life. Listen, you might think, oh, I'm never going to get on the pulpit. Maybe. I'm not sure you'd like it anyway. It's not as good as it looks. Even this nice chrome one. Listen, God has given you a pulpit in your workplace. He's given you a pulpit in the college, in the school, in the university. He's given you a college, he's given you a pulpit wherever you might be. There's nothing to stop you. See, tonight, I don't know how many people are here, but really, I'm not preaching to a crowd tonight. I'm looking for that one person. That one person who's going to listen to something I might say. And maybe, just maybe, I'll say one thing, and the Holy Spirit will kiss it. And someone in here, just maybe it might be one person, might just say, you know what? I'm going to serve God. I'm really going to serve him. See, God's no respecter of person. You might think you're too old. You might think you're too young. You might think you're not intelligent enough. You might, not, you might think you're not talented enough. Listen, I've seen God blow all that out of the water. I've seen him use the most unlikely of people. I remember my first ever trip to Africa. And the man who took me there, he understood the power of stopping for the one. He was an old man. I think some of you may have known him. He was a Scotsman, a missionary from Scotland. Oh, yeah. And this old guy turned up to our church in Wath. And man, he was a character. He'd come in there and he'd just outright ask you for money. Not a, not a missions presentation. Not a, here's my card, here's a flyer. Just give me your money. Good old Scottish way. And uh, the guy was, you know, well into his 80s. I mean, mid to late 80s. And then... I found out that he was leading our trip to Sierra Leone, our first ever trip. So I got a bit, I'm thinking, is this guy even going to make it there? Let alone lead the trip. Then I began to hear his story. Turns out he was in a meeting like this as a young man. 17 years old. And a missionary by the name of Matthew Sinclair 
was preaching. And this young man responded. He did what church people love to do, and he went to the altar call, and he got all touched and stirred and emotional. And he said, I'm going to go and change the world for God. But then he did what a lot of church people do. And he walked out the doors and he forgot all about that meeting. And he went back to the sinful life he was living. And he lived a life of rebellion towards God. He completely ignored the missionary calling on his life. He actually ended up in prison. He lived a life of crime. He had several marriages that all failed and got himself into a bit of a mess. He became an old man and he was about 78 years old and he was sat in his greenhouse one day in Sheffield. He'd moved to Sheffield and all of a sudden the voice of God came. At 78 years old the voice of God came. And so his name was Alex. said, Alex, I'm calling you again. Will you go? And that old man, having turned his back on God for 60 years, tears began to stream down his face. And he cried. And he said, God, I'll go. I'll go. And at the age of 78, he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And at the age of 83, he went on his first ever mission trip. I remember when he was 91 and he was still doing these mission trips. And I remember getting a phone call one day saying, Alex is in hospital. He was his wife. He actually married a Sierra Leonean woman who was about 40 years younger than him, but we'll not talk about that bit. <laughs> kind of ruins the story. But uh, <laughs> so... Um, I got a call from her. She said, Matthew, Alex is very sick and he's probably going to die tonight. Can you come to the hospital? So I went to the hospital and um, I looked at him and there was no life in him. He'd lost all the weight. He'd not eaten for days. And I thought, well, this is it. You know, 91. Praise God that he had 13 years as a Christian. Praise God that he went to the mission field. So I was there with Becky and Becky's father and we were just there doing the, doing the pastoral thing. And I remember beginning to pray and I said, Lord, you know, thank you for his life. And I prayed such a British prayer. It was, it was so British. It was like, God, thank you for his life. Thank you for the, the heart he's had for the nations. Thank you for, and suddenly this, his wife just reacted. She said, no, we're going to pray for healing power. It was like Africans fire came into the hospital. I said, okay, let's pray. So she went, Jesus name, touch his body, raise him up. I'm thinking he's 91, love. <laughs> I'm not sure even God can do anything with this. And... Um, Anyway, she prayed and um, I said, amen. And then we went home. I thought, well, you know, that was nice, nice knowing you. So uh, um, the next day, 
She called me. She went, Matthew, thank you so much. Your prayer of faith worked. So I'm like, yeah, of course. Thank you. Anytime. She said, Alex is like recovering. I'm like, really? I like, I like was so shocked. And then three days later, she rang me. She said, Alex is up in bed and he's talking. I'm like, wow. Then about two weeks later, he called me. He said, brother, I'm out of hospital and I've just booked my flight to Africa. I'm going back. And he went for another six years. And he died at the age of 97, three years ago. And I was one of the speakers at his funeral. Um, I was the man who, you know, brought the miracle to his life. So they honored me. No, no. So, um, so no, I went and spoke. And you know what? I, w I went to that funeral and it was packed full, maybe 200 people. There were probably a dozen white people in that funeral. And there was hundreds, well, over, over 100 Sierra Leonean people who traveled from all parts of the world to be there to honor this man who stopped for the one. He built schools. He cared for the disabled. He fed the poor. He went during the Civil War and gave aid and supply, and he followed God's passion for his life. So unless you're 97 tonight, destination. I'm going to race through these. Number three, discouragement. Bible says many warned Bartimaeus to be quiet. Now, interestingly, the people who warned Bartimaeus to be quiet wasn't the demons of hell. Wasn't the sinners. Who was it? It was the good old followers of Jesus. There they are again, the church people. Sometimes your biggest opponents will be the people supposedly close to Jesus. We often think of enemies as demonic forces and evil principalities and powers. Very often, those people against us can be right under our nose. Sometimes those against us can be Christian people, church people, who just don't quite see things how you see things. I remember in 2006, when I was working as a sports journalist, and planning my whole life ahead, doing pretty well at it, thinking that life would treat me well, write for national newspapers, was doing that at a young age, writing for the mirror, writing for the sun, doing all that stuff, getting paid good money, life's happy, and then suddenly God shows up. And all of a sudden, life changes. And I knew that I had to change my career. Now that was unwise. That was foolish. That went against good advice from good people, including family and friends. Discouragement tried to come in. Before you get a miracle, before God does something in your life, there'll always be discouragement. There'll always be people against you. When a church is about to enter a new season, there's always people who just don't quite get it. And they might be good people. They might be great people. They might love Jesus but they just don't quite see it how God is seeing it at this time. I thank God for Paul and Victoria Morris because during that time when I said I'm going to quit my job, they stood by me and said, go for it. We believe in you and we believe you've heard God. That's priceless 
in those circumstances. Discouragement. And here's what I love about Bartimaeus. This is number four, determination. Many warned him to be quiet. So what did he do? Did he go and sulk? Did he go and leave church? No. He cried out all the more. He said, I'm going to show those religious people and I'm going to cry out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Wow. He cried. He said, I'm going to show them. He wasn't getting sidetracked by the distracting voices. He was pressing in, moving forward, and he was going to get his miracle. How many know we need to be people who are fearless and courageous in our pursuit of God? When they told me that I had three hours to live and somehow I recovered, thank God, I caught malaria in Africa. All my organs shut down. They said I'd be brain damaged on dialysis for life and would need, and my kidney went into failure. So I'm done, okay? Heart, lungs, liver, kidneys, kaput. 50% malaria in your blood. 5% is the threshold for being fatal. I'm at 50. So I'm, I'm dead. I'm over. Three hours, then we're going to have to pull the plug. That's what they said to Becky. Okay? That's as pretty much as serious as it's going to get. But then God stepped in. Praise God. Now, even after that moment, do you think it was easy for me to get on a plane and face those mosquitoes. <laughs> it's not easy. I'm pretty tough, I think, but it's scary to go there. I go there tomorrow. I'm already thinking about those mosquitoes. You know, I'd rather be faced with a heavyweight boxer than a mosquito. Because when something like that happens to you, fear will always try and hold you back. When Becky was in the hospital and I recovered, the doctor said to her, please, you need to listen to us. Where you're going is a high malaria zone. You've got a little boy. You cannot go back there. That's, this would Look, you've almost lost your husband. Are you really going to risk this again for your family? She looked at the doctor. She said, absolutely, I'll risk it all over again. Why? Because this isn't a hobby to me. It's not something I do on the side to tick a little travel bug like some people treat mission trips. No, I'm not using this to satisfy a traveling desire. I'm doing this because God has birthed a passion in me for nations. God has birthed a love in me for the poor. It's determination. you got to stick it out. I love what Bill Wilson said. He said, your commitment has to be stronger than your emotions. Wow, it's good, isn't it? Your commitment has to be stronger than your emotions. Your emotions are always going to tell you to quit. In churches today, we love to quit. Oh, little argument with someone. I'm out of here. I'll join the Methodists. Oh, little, oh, I don't like that worship song. Well, let's try out the new one down the road. You know, people love, oh, we're having a bit of an argument. In our, oh, let's just get divorced. Hmm. Your commitment has to be stronger than your emotions. It would be so easy to quit. You know, I want to quit my church every week. I'm the pastor. I don't think how everyone else feels. <laughs> but your commitment has to be stronger 
than your emotions. Determination. I'm going to do all I can to fight sinful temptation. I'm going to do all I can to make a difference. With my little life, however long the Lord grants me, I am going to make a difference. I'm determined that we're going to take the ground for Jesus in your talks. That's why we work so hard. We, we work like crazy. You know, just hour after hour to, to, to reach souls for the kingdom of God. To do all we can. A determination. Final point. A dependence. I love this. The Bible says Jesus called Bartimaeus. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. Now, there's one little problem with this. This is before he got healed. Bartimaeus threw aside his garment and he came to Jesus. Hmm, but he's blind. Isn't that amazing? He knows what he needs. He can't quite see it, but he thinks, you know what? Forget about it. I'm going to take a few steps, and I'm going to believe God is going to meet me on the other side. And he took a step of faith. Sometimes when we do new things for God, we have to take a step of faith. And we might not see the outcome, and we might have to fumble around a little bit, we might take a few knocks and bash into a few things along the way. We might fall down. We might have a few bumps in the journey. We might have a bit of malaria hit us, which says, oh, no, that's going to be, you, that's, you're going to die within three hours. And you, you might be just tempted to just turn back around and get that garment and that cane again. When my little boy was born six years ago, born with a messed up bowel, Again, rushed into hospital. Thought he was going to die that night. Doctor said, we don't know if he's going to survive the night. You know, Becky was in hospital last year. Lost hearing in one ear. Infection. Who knows what happened? Just wiped out. You know, these things come. We've been robbed. You know, been in Africa and people stolen money, cheated us. Taken God's money. So discouraging when people criticize you and give their opinion on what you're doing. But you know what, Jesus? I'm just going to keep walking. And I'm just going to reach out. Yeah, I'm going to take a few knocks. I may fall down. I may stumble. But I'm just going to keep walking. And eventually, eventually, I'm going to get to you. See, that's what faith is. It's seeing the impossible and taking a few steps. Maybe tonight you think you've got a plan from God. You've got a vision from God but you just can't figure it out. Why not throw aside that garment and take a few steps towards the master? 